So real quickly, just a show of hands on both campuses, whether it's here in Wills Point or maybe it's in Edgewood or perhaps maybe you're joining us online, but how many of you have heard or read the Psalm 23 multiple times in your life? Uh, I would say that this is a text that regardless of if you've ever been raised in church or attended church very much, if you've ever attended a funeral or a graveside, you've most likely heard this text at least read. Uh, this is a text that is probably one of the most incredible liturgical and poetic uh, writings in all of our Bible. It is uh, one that inspires many people, and it is one that oftentimes is recited or read to bring comfort and hope in some of people's darkest times and needs. The challenge is, is that I think when you look at this text, uh, it is not meant as much uh, for the comfort uh, in a time of death or mourning as much as it is to bring us hope in the midst of our living. Uh, this is a text that very much applies to every single one of us in this room. It's a text that is attributed to a guy named David. David was a shepherd boy who uh, was uh, one of eight sons of a, a man named Jesse, uh, a guy who, uh, when God was selecting the next king of Israel, he was out actually tending to his flock. He didn't even make the cut originally. And uh, when finally he was brought in, he must have been uh, kind of a uh, a guy of, uh, of short stature, he wasn't as tall and probably as thick as his brothers. He probably uh, wasn't the one to look at like all of the other brothers that he had. But what we do know, he was faithful to his job. He was faithful to tend the flocks. And because of that understanding of caring for animals like sheep, uh, defenseless creatures that needed a good shepherd, he began to understand the Lord in a different light. And he just shares that with us. Uh, we don't know exactly when it was that he penned this. There's many different thoughts about when it was, whether it was before he became the king of Israel or if it was later than that, whether it was in exile or maybe it was a time of uh, the greatest point in all of Israel's life and heritage that when he sat on the throne and ultimately had no enemies. We don't know for sure. Uh, we can speculate all we want. What we do know is that it gives a great caricature of the God that we serve. It gives us an incredible picture. And I think it's a picture that we've read so many times that I don't know that we've ever sought to slow down and understand what the text really says. It's one that many of us, if we began to read it together, you might even go, I, I kind of know that a little bit. You may not have it memorized word for word, but you certainly could follow along in some ways. And this is a, uh, it's just an incredible passage. And we're going to spend the next six weeks diving into it. I encourage you to come because it really has meaning for our lives in this day and age. And so we're going to dive into it uh, right now. Psalm 23, uh, six verses that have profound meaning and impact. And we're going to read all six and then we're going to jump in uh, to one short verse today. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows." And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, real quickly, as we kind of jump into this, I just want you to realize that this psalm is kind of broken down into three portions. 
One is that you're going to see that there is a God who meets your everyday provision. He's with us all the time, which we'll dive into in just a second. But then when you get to verse 4, you'll notice that he doesn't uh, just provide for the provisions that we have every day, but he meets even our emergency needs. He's with us in times of trouble, uh, in peril, uh, and in famine, and in nakedness. Uh, he is with us, even in darkness, where we struggle to know exactly what it is that we should do. He's with us. He comforts us. He doesn't leave our side. And then when you uh, get to verse 5, you'll notice that he uh, is not only with us in our everyday needs and our emergency needs, but ultimately he's preparing us for our eternal destiny. That there is something far beyond this life that he is preparing for us for, and he's reminding us that he is with us and that he is the good shepherd. And so that's what I want you to be thinking of in the next handful of weeks, that he meets our everyday needs that he ultimately leads us to green pastures and still waters, uh, that he meets our emergency needs, and that he meets all of our eternal ones. He is a God that is faithful. So let's pray and let's ask that he is with us as we see the first part of how he meets our everyday provisions. Heavenly Father, we love you and thank you for today. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God who desires to shepherd us. And Lord, I I know that there's many of us in here that ultimately we're not sure if we want a shepherd. We're not sure if you really are good enough to shepherd us. Uh, There's many of us that we like to kind of roam and do our own things. We really want to see if we can delight in what we find as opposed to delighting in what you lead us to. And so Lord, I pray that uh, you would help us and some of our struggles and some of us that we are searching and We're on a quest to find something that fills us and quenches uh, the thirst that we have for the things in this world. I pray, God, that we would see that those provisions are not near as good as yours. I pray, Lord, that we would be able to say clearly that you are our shepherd, that you care for us as a part of your flock. I pray that you would help us to see your truth and to live in it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So it begins with, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. Now, real quickly, I want to make sure that you realize that there's a difference between proclaiming that the Lord is a shepherd and saying that he is my shepherd. It is one thing to know that God shepherds the people of the earth, but it's another one to say that I know he is my shepherd and I delight in being a part of his flock. Maybe you would say that I'm a people of his own possession. Maybe you would say I'm an heir of his family. Maybe you would say I'm a member of the household of God, a member of his body, the church. However you want to say it, there are few uh, of us that can say that we delight in the Lord and he is my shepherd. Because I want you to realize just real quickly that if, if you look at the second portion of this scripture, I shall not want... If that cannot be expressed about you, uh, then the first portion of the scripture is not uh, authentically established in you. So if you can't say for sure that I shall not want, you don't have that as an expression, then you need to know that the Lord being your shepherd is not being authentically established in you. Because it's impossible to say the Lord is my shepherd and continue to pursue things that ultimately are not of your good shepherd. 
Does that make sense? And I think that's the struggle. I think we want both. I think we want to know that there's a good shepherd who will comfort us and has his staff and his rod and that he will defend us. But I think in some ways we also love to think about the pastures that are outside of his flock. That we love to graze on other things. That ultimately we love to think and pursue things around us. And I just want you to realize that if the Lord is my shepherd then that implies a handful of things that we have to lean into. That if he is your shepherd, then you need to know that, that he is your guide and he is your truth. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, there's these things called the Beatitudes. Matter of fact, about a year ago, we spent time discovering what they were. But one of them is that you are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for they shall inherit eternal life. Now, poor in spirit means that you think of yourself as, as bankrupt, that you're spiritually dead apart from God, that when you look at your life, you can see just how broken we are, how many poor choices we've made, how many times we've led ourselves into sin and chaos and confusion, how many times we have just done things that are contrary to the God of the universe. And when you begin to recognize in yourself that you are poor in spirit, you can begin to recognize your need for a shepherd. But I want you to know that Charles Spurgeon says, it's very difficult for you and I as sheep to recognize our need for a shepherd until we've gotten to the place where we realize how much we really need a shepherd. And I think that's the idea that the Lord is my shepherd, that I know that I can't shepherd myself. That I realize that if I'm left to my own devices, that I'm probably going to lead myself into a snare or a trap. Or I'm going to go searching after something that I think brings me delight. But at the end, it leads to a trap of death. And I think that's the challenge, is that we would realize that when the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Why? Because He meets all of our needs. And when you begin to think about that, like why do we even need a shepherd? I think it's because of what he says about us. And when we think about the scriptures, we need to think about what we're compared to. And I think about this idea of a sheep. Like why, out of every animal in the world, why would it be that, that God would compare us to a sheep? I mean, think about that for just a second. There are football games that are happening uh, all across the world this weekend. And as I watch football games or as I hear about them on the radio or as I go and attend a high school game, here's what I've figured out. Um, there are all types of mascots, right? I mean, you got lions. You got tigers. Whoop! Yeah, any tigers in the house? Yeah. Uh, you, you got bulldogs. Any bulldogs? Come on, Edgewood! I mean, you've got eagles. You've got vandals. You've got all of these different mascots. You know what you don't have? Sheep. I mean, you're, you're never going to call yourself the Wills Point sheep. Why? And because you're like, I know I'm going to get tore up. I'm not, I'm not even going to step on the field if I'm a sheep. Why? Because sheep are a depiction of who we are because we remind the Lord so much of an animal. An animal that is in its own class in many ways. It is utterly defenseless. It has no teeth to backbite. It's not going to run out of 
sight very fast. It's not going to outrun something that has its way with it. Um, it's stubborn. It refuses to do uh, what the shepherd oftentimes wants. Um, they are, if I could just say this about sheep, okay, about sheep, they're dumb. I mean, they're just dumb animals, one of the dumbest on the planet. And so not only are they defenseless and not only um, do they don't do a whole lot. I mean, you really think about it. What are they good for outside of going to death? I mean, outside, if they don't die, ultimately, you have very little benefit from them. You don't get a whole lot from them unless they're sacrificed. And when you begin to think about this animal, you begin to realize some of the similarities. You begin to realize just how defenseless we are. I mean, the thing about a sheep, if it doesn't have a shepherd, it will eat everything under its care, and it will continue to uh, gnaw at the ground, it will continue to claw at the ground, and they will take every ounce of green, and they will eat it. Why? Because that's all they think of. They think of what's temporary, and what's finite, and what's right there in front of them, and that's And so if you don't have a shepherd that can move them to another pasture to graze them, you don't have a shepherd that's looking out for their needs, that's protecting them, that's in a sense caring for them, that what you have is a defenseless, stubborn, stupid animal that will kill itself because it will never move to anything that's good. And that's the idea here, is you've got this this mass-minded, mob-instinct type animal that does what the leader does. They all do that, and they've got fears, and they've got timidity, and they're stubborn, and they've got these incredible habits that they continue to do and never break, and they are a depiction of you and I. Matter of fact, I think it is just the idea of what we think of in Isaiah 53, 6, when the Lord speaks about... um, us as people. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. At the end of the day, the reason that Jesus gives the provision of his body on the cross and that he dies in sacrifice is for sheep who all of us have gone astray, have done our own thing in our stubbornness, in our foolishness, in If I could say it, in our stupidity, we have done what we want to do. We've all turned from the the desires of the good shepherd, and we have, in a sense, taken a mob mentality of just doing what we want to do, our own provisions that lead us to death. And when we're left to our own devices, listen, we will lead ourselves into perilous times. And that's the idea. But what's incredible about this, think about this, that even though we have some of the distinctives of this animal, a sheep, right? Uh, We need to know that even our good shepherd, the one who delights in us, cares for us, has also made a provision for us. So think about this for just a second. As foolish as we are, as stubborn as we are, as many uh, challenges as we have, what you need to know about the Lord as our shepherd is that he loves us enough to purchase us. Ultimately, to buy us back, to mark us, to call us by name, to make us his own, to meet all of our needs. He still cares for us. Even though we have done some of the things that we have done, isn't it incredible to know that he still is pursuing us? The God of the universe loves us in spite of who we are in our flesh. 
That's an incredible thing. Now think about this real quickly. If you have a shepherd, I want you to realize that a shepherd never becomes a shepherd by just chance. Like a shepherd doesn't just wake up one day and say, you know what, I'm going to go and care for sheep. And the reason why is because if a shepherd hasn't bought sheep, he has no sheep to care for, right? And I think a lot of us would love to just have a pasture full of animals, but the challenge is is that you don't just stumble into a pasture full of animals. You have to pay for animals. And so there's many different ways to do that. You can go to a sale or to an auction and you can begin to purchase them. Now, in the case of our good shepherd, I want you to realize is that he not only paid for us, but he actually bought us back. It was like uh, he paid for us, created us, and then we went and we went to a whole nother pasture. And when we go to an entire different pasture, instead of him just saying, hey, they're mine, come on back, he actually pays for us again. And then what he does is he says, look, I'm going to pay for you. I'm going to purchase you. I'm going to make you my own. It reminds us of just who the Lord is. In John chapter 10, verse 11, he says about himself, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. Do you see the payment there? And so as a shepherd would go and pay or buy his own sheep to put in his flock, Jesus pays, but he does so with blood. He does so with his own life as an opportunity to buy us back so that he could be our good shepherd. So catch that just real quickly. Lean in with me. Our foolishness led us away for our good shepherd who created us, that he loves us enough that he would actually meet the demands and the legal punishment of God by dying himself to purchase back a dumb animal. That doesn't make any sense to me. Does that make sense to you? It does not make sense to me that our God would pursue us in spite of us, that he would lay his life down for us. It, it just reminds me of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, a series that we began this year called Heart and Souls. We talked about what it was that God did for us. He bought us so we should glorify God with our bodies. Why? Because he paid for us. Matter of fact, it says this, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. If we say that he is my shepherd then we need to know that he's paid for us. He has ransomed you. He has redeemed you. He has bestowed upon you his loving grace because of his death and provision for you on the cross. Amen? But listen, here's what you need to know, that when a shepherd buys sheep, one of the most painful things about um, a shepherd after he buys the sheep, whether it be on the auction block or however he desires, desires to bring them into his pasture, before they go out into the green pasture, and before they begin to uh, enjoy the delight of a good shepherd, they must be marked. Now, if you were a cattle guy, you could mark your cows in multiple different ways. You could brand them. That's kind of an old school way to do it. But one of the common things is, is that you would even take an ear and that you would cut them. That's what many shepherds would do. They would take a, a, a sheep and uh, it would not be a delight to the owner or the sheep. The reason why is because you, you have to, in a sense, uh, get them to a place in which they are willing to lay their head down. That's not going to happen very easily. But when that does happen, they finally take its ear and they may put it on a wood block. And then that shepherd is going to distinctly mark his sheep in a way that only he knows who they are. And so he could cut a little V in their ear. 
Uh, He could do whatever he wanted, but that would be a distinct mark that that shepherd would know that this is my sheep. Why is this sheep his? Because I paid for it. And if I paid for this sheep, then I can mark this sheep in a way that's a distinct mark that I know that they are mine and that I am theirs. And that's the same thing that Jesus has done for us. He purchased us, and then God says they mark us, right? He marks us. Why? Because Ephesians 1.13 just says this, and you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. How does God know that, that we are His? He delights to give us His Spirit, that God would lead us to all truth by making a provision for us that because we are His sheep, that we are not only His, but He is my shepherd. He would give me the seal of the promised Holy Spirit that would lead me to truth, that would help me to move away from my foolish, stubborn, deceitful scheming, and that He could lead me to a place in which I delight in the promises of God. That's the mark on our life. He has distinctly marked us and sealed us. He has said, in a world of darkness, I have placed light in your life. In a world that's continually losing its saltiness, I have made you salt. I have made you truth in a world of lies. I have made you light and darkness. I have called you my people. You are my flock. You are my children. You are my sons and daughters. I paid for you and I have sealed you. I have marked you. That's an incredible promise. And only those who have been paid for and marked could say the words that the Lord is my shepherd. But it doesn't go just there. You know, when you really have a good shepherd, that not only do they... Uh, by you and mark you. But when you have a really good shepherd, and listen, there are many of us in here uh, that if we think about our animals, we're not good shepherds. But if we think about a good shepherd, he goes a step further. He doesn't just mark us and throw us out to a pasture because he sees us as something that would produce something for him. It's not just about money, and it's not just about making sense dollar for dollar. But occasionally, the shepherd will love his flock so much that he will begin to name them one by one. You ever go to a cow guy's house and he just got hundred dollars? I mean, what does he do? He marks them, puts a number in there, and sends them out to the flock, right? I mean, they're in the pasture. And what does he think of? He thinks about keeping them alive so that he can have calves and they can make money. But every now and then, you'll stumble up to somebody's house and they'll go, hey, come over here, let me show you Lucy. And here's Lucy's little calf. This right here is Cindy. And I, this is how Cindy got her name. And, and then you come over here to this other little stall, and it's like, hey, yeah, this, is, this is Billy. And the reason I, and then here's this one right over here. And, and, you know, and you're like, how do you even remember all those names, right? Because he, he's a good shepherd. He delights in the care of his animals. That's the idea. Psalm 100, verse 3. That we, uh, in a sense, are uh, the people of God's own possession. It says it this way, uh, Know the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Isn't that an incredible promise? I mean, think about that just real quickly. In spite of our foolishness and our stubbornness, in spite of who we are apart from God, God pays for us, He marks us, and then He calls us by name. And He goes, You are mine. I love you. 
Now think about that. If the Lord is our shepherd and you hold true just to the idea of Psalm 100 verse 3. I know the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought about that? Like, If you're hesitant about trusting God to be your shepherd, who better to care for you than the one who actually created you? I mean, and then think about that. He not only just established you in creation, but then he goes and he, to the length of buying you back. But think about this real quickly. The Lord is my shepherd. He bought me. He marked me. He called me his own. And then he says, and you shall never want. You shall lack nothing. And the idea when you start thinking about that is not just speaking about who the shepherd is, but it's also giving you an idea of what the flock has. The flock can only say this about their shepherd when the flock never lacks anything for his care. Now, when you start, start thinking about this, that it has a broader meaning, that in a sense, you have seen the hub uh, husbandry of our great shepherd, that he cares and delights in his flock, that there's no deficiency, there is proper care, there's proper management. The, the owner delights in his flock, and the flock delights in its owner. Now, I'll give you a real great illustration. Uh, this last couple of days, I've been down in South Texas. Me and my boys always take a trip in the fall in which we um, go and we spend a few days out in the woods and we just do manly things. And we enjoy um, creation and we enjoy um, no showers and just being stinky men. And uh, it's a blessing. Uh, we do shower the night before we come home just so that mama's all good, right? Uh, but as we're driving down in South Texas, um, I see ranch after ranch after ranch after ranch. And it's just miles and miles because I like to take the back roads in which you can kind of just see the scenic views and you just see ranch after ranch after ranch. And here's what I noticed. As I had this message in mind, I noticed that most places are grazing their cattle on places that, in a sense, are deficient. I mean, it, you'll throw your cattle out in anything. And when you get down into the hill country, kind of in South Texas, I mean, there's cactus and uh, there's mesquite trees. And it literally takes up the entire pasture. I mean, and these cows are, are working through uh, miles and miles of goat weeds, cactus, and these deficient trees. And they're trying in any way they can to find stubble out there to produce themselves, to, to feed themselves. And when you look at them, you just see they're, they're, not, they're just not healthy. I mean, you can kind of see some of their ribs. And you just you think about that flock and you go, man, what a poor looking flock. But have you ever looked at a poor looking flock and then said, and what a poor shepherd? And the reason you never really thought about it that way is because you don't really think in terms of a ranch person. What you see is a bunch of cows. You go, hey, kids, look at all the cows. But if you know a ranch manager or you know someone who has cattle or has sheep, you know when you see a good-looking cow and an incredible calf. Most people don't see it, but some do. Now, listen, you don't get good-looking cows and calves when you don't meet all of their needs. 
If they have deficiencies in their diet when they're not properly cared for, then what you're going to have are cows. Will they sell? Yes. Will they bring you some money? Possibly. But the question is, is what does it say about the shepherd? See, a good shepherd tends not only to the flock, but also the management and the care of his pastors. Why? Because his pastors are a symbol to the flock about how much he cares for what it is that he is meeting a provision for. And that's what David realizes. David realizes that as a shepherd, my flock will be deficient unless I take my Sheep to greener pastures and better waters. Now, it's very difficult for us to put ourselves in the mind, eye, in the view of what this text really means because of where we're located. But if you were to set yourself in Israel, a place where you had to migrate and move in order to get green pasture and still water, the idea of clear and not murky or muddied, But good, fresh water, it means that you have to lead those that flock to places. And the idea of this text is that we have a good shepherd who cares and delights in us, not just to mark us and seal us and call us by name and to make us his by payment, but he goes, when I do that, I am making you mine so that you will never lack. You'll never have deficiencies and you'll never want for anything in the world. And the idea is contentment. That are you content with the Lord in your life or is there more that you desire? But what you and I need to realize is that if we desire more, it's not because of our shepherd. Because our shepherd wants to give us all that we need. That we're amply supplied before the Lord. He says it this way in John 10, verses 10 and 11 about himself. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, which is talking about the enemy, the adversary, or anything that would take you away from the Lord. But I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. For I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. But think what he's saying there. He goes, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. I've come. I've bought you. I've marked you. I've called you by name. I've delighted to give you good things because all good things come from God. So that you would know that I delight in you, my flock. And when the flock has all their needs met, there is no deeper satisfaction. Matter of fact, the only time an animal will eventually lay down and will just kind of settle among a good pasture is when its needs are met. And it's just content. It doesn't have to go anywhere because it's full. And it's just enjoying All the bounty before it. That's what the Lord's talking about. He desires that we, as his people, the flock of his pastor, that we are contented. That we're not looking to go anywhere else. That's what he desires. He he hopes that we are safe from um, parasites or disease or from anything else that would lead us to death. That's what a good shepherd would do. And he wants us to flourish under his care. That we would be strong that we would grow healthy, and that we would reproduce under his care. That's what a shepherd wants for his sheep, and that's what the God of the universe wants for his people. He delights to care for us. 
Psalm 121, 2 and 3 says, My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. The Lord never sleeps. He is always attentive to your every need. John 14, 1, uh, we should not let our hearts be troubled, that we should believe in God. Jesus says, believe also in me. Why? Because as a good shepherd, he goes, I don't ever want you to face trouble. I don't want you to be unsettled. I don't want you to worry. I don't want you to fear. I want you to know that I am your good shepherd. You lack nothing when you turn to me. John 16, Jesus says this way, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace in the world that you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. He goes, yes, I get it. There's an enemy and there's wolves and there are different things that want to, in a sense, entice you and lead you away. They want to drag you over the fence. And they want to take you out of my pasture. But you need to know that I love you, that I care for you, that I've met all your needs, that it should be abundantly clear to you that I have purchased you, marked you, sealed you for the day of redemption. You are mine. I care for you. I'm meeting your needs. And I am going to defend you. And matter of fact, you need to know that I have already won. And I care deeply for you. That's what he is saying here. The Lord is my shepherd. And I shall not want. The question is, is can you really say that about yourself? Are you really content just to settle into the Lord? Or are you looking to be filled in other ways? I mean, what is it that your flesh is after? And what is it that you are seeking to find to fill the void in your life? And there are a variety of things because of our stubbornness and our sheep-like qualities that we will lead ourselves to something besides what the Lord wants for us. But when he makes it abundantly clear, I have come to give you life and give it abundantly. It is in correlation and a very great parallel to what Jesus is talking about here is the same things that David says in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. But let me give you an example real quickly. And I'm going to close with this. Uh, about a year ago, um, I was actually in the cattle business myself, and um, if I'm honest with you, um, I'm probably one of those cattle guys that's not always worried about my pastures. Um, and when you think about that, um, you go, wow, I- I'm not sure that I was a great shepherd uh, to my flock. But I'll tell you one of the things that I did not like about a, my, part of my flock, right, under my care, is that I had this one calf. And she was, she was beautiful. Matter of fact, I contemplated keeping her and, and keeping her as a part of my flock, breeding her and making her one of my choice mamas. The problem was is that she was stubborn and hard-headed. And oftentimes, it would be a Sunday afternoon right after I finished a message like this, and I would get a call from my neighbor, and he would say, Brandon, your calf is out. And I knew exactly which one it was. It was this, br- this bright, red, thick-looking calf. And uh, she was just beautiful. And I would go, and I would get her back in. Or uh, oftentimes, he would call me on a Tuesday evening, right in the middle of dinner or right in the middle of a meeting somewhere. I got a call one time. I was on a travel trip, uh, church-related stuff in San Diego. I'm in the middle of a meeting. I get a call. He goes, hey, dude, your calf is out. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do about it in San Diego. So I start calling people in which uh, they get annoyed too, right? Because they're having to care after my sheep uh, or my flock who continue to get out. And there just became a point where I realized that there was something that had to happen. I had to either fix all my fences in a way that was going to take all my time or 
Maybe the fences weren't the problem. Maybe it was the stubborn, hard-headed calf that needed to go, in which I elected to choose that option. And so after I had taken a dozen or more phone calls over the period of about 30 days, after this calf began to lead others in the flock astray and out, I said, enough's enough. And I want you to realize something. Is that you could claim that that calf was foolish, that it wasn't cared for well. You could, but what I do know is this is if that calf was contented, it would never have left the pasture. And that's what he means. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The idea is if the Lord really is the master of your life, if he really is the chief shepherd in you, the question you have to ask yourself is, am I really settled? Am I really content in him? And I can't answer that question for you, but it is one that you should grapple with as we move forward in this text. Because I think the Lord's desire for all of us is to be able to chiefly say, the Lord is my shepherd and I lack nothing. And that's the desire of the Lord for his people and for the sheep of his pasture. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for our time together. I pray that you would encourage us Um, in our faith, that you would remind us of your word and your goodness, that you are our shepherd, that we lack nothing. You have purchased us by your blood. You have re-bought us. You have called us according to your great purpose. You have marked us with your spirit. You have sealed us for the day of redemption. You have equipped us uh, to meet you uh, in the end, face to face. Until then, I pray that you would help us to lean into contentment, that we would hear you when you call us by name, that we would follow you because you are the good shepherd and we hear your voice and we know that we are yours. And I pray that because we know that we are yours and we know that you are a heavenly father who meets all of our needs and all of our provisions, I pray that we don't pursue peace and joy and hope and an appetite somewhere else outside of your care. I pray that we would know that anything else that leads us out of your pasture, out of your green um, grass and your still waters, anything that leads us somewhere else is not from you and, and will destroy us. And so Lord, I pray that we would see you clearly and that we would know you and abide in you and walk faithful with you, that you would give us assurance of not only our salvation, but you would give us assurance of conversation and a prayer life with you, that you would give us assurance and our hope that we can have victory in you, that we can be guided to all truth because of you. And so teach us, mold us, and shape us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.